turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Violent night in some of the country's biggest cities. Rioters continuing their looting, arson, and vandalism spree. President Trump threatening to deploy the military to restore order if mayors and governors can't get the job done. My fellow Americans, my first and highest duty as president is to defend our great country and the American people. I swore an oath to uphold the laws of our nation, and that is exactly what I will do. New York City's late-night curfew failed to prevent another night of widespread damage. In Southern California, Hollywood was among the target of looting and vandalism. On Wall Street this morning, stock futures pointing to a higher open later on. Right now, the Dow futures up 650 points. NASDAQ futures 67 points higher. This is SRN News. W262CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. But what I'd like to suggest to you is that before... David committed the act of adultery. God warned him through his servants not to touch this woman. He had a a clear warning. Don't do it. This is somebody else's wife. This is Uriah's wife. Then why was David a man after God's own heart? So unresponsive to the promptings of God and and really more than the promptings, a, a clear statement from God, don't touch this woman. Gary Richmond, in his book, View from the Zoo, told about a young pet owner named Julie. He had warned Julie that every 24 months, adult raccoons go through a glandular change, and that change often makes them attack their owners without warning. He was concerned because even though raccoons look cute and cuddly, they are fierce fighters. Julie smiled and said it would be different for her. She said Bandit would never hurt her. Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery to repair the damage done by Bandit when he attacked her for no apparent reason. Sin often comes in beautiful disguises. We play with it and ignore the warnings of others, convincing ourselves that it will be different for us. Judging reality by its conformity to our emotions always has disastrous results. Today, on Verse by Verse, we will see how that was true for David's life and true in our own lives as well. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is taking us one verse at a time through the life of a great man of God, King David. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor for over 27 years at Lakeside. Today, we will conclude a three-part message about the tremendous moral fall David experienced when he ignored God's warnings and took Uriah's wife to be his own. This chapter in David's life not only serves as a warning to us, but it also provides clues that will help us avoid making the same kinds of mistakes ourselves. Our main text is 2 Samuel chapter 11. So let's grab our Bibles and notepads. Here's Pastor Steve with today's lesson. 
So not only, and these are just practical things to help you in controlling your mind, not only avoid lust stimulators, which is just common sense, and flee youthful lust, which is another common sense thing, but here's a third common sense principle. Establish some guidelines to protect you, protect yourself from losing control of your emotions. Before it ever happens, you establish some guidelines. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. First of all, men, if you're married, never be alone with another woman. I mean, that's just common sense. Don't be alone with another woman. Now, you say, but my my job dictates that I have to do this. Okay, if that's the case, your job calls you to do this, then make sure you call your wife and say where you are and who you're with and where you can be reached. Just common sense. Number two, if you're married, don't bare your soul to a person of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. Don't bear your heart. Why? Because emotional intimacy often awakens a desire for more intimacy. That's an important, important truth. Many affairs begin by somebody who poured out their troubles to someone they weren't married to, and the next thing you know, they're involved in physical intimacy. Never started that way, looked innocent enough, but there was emotional intimacy, and it developed further along. And they would say, we never planned on this. Well, David never planned on it either. Although that wasn't exactly David's situation. Another thing, never engage in flirting, even if you think, well, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just trying to be cute. I'm trying to be funny. Why do I say never engage in flirting, even if you say the other person just knows I'm, I'm kidding around? Why? Because the other person may be so desperate for that kind of attention that some unwholesome desires may be aroused. You were kidding. They took it as, as uh, serious. They didn't have anyone pay attention to them like that, even if you were just kidding. So don't do that. Don't do that. Another, another uh, area to be careful about, is common sense guidelines. Be careful how you touch other people of the opposite sex and uh, even how, how you hug them. Now, I think there's an appropriate touch. There's an appropriate hug. We don't have to be people who are standoffish. But there's also an inappropriate hug and an inappropriate touch. And you know the difference. Don't send the wrong message. So be careful. Now, before we, we move on to another reason why, D, why David fell, a word is in order about Bathsheba. Have you ever wondered when I'm going to get to her or if I'm going to get to her? Well, Scripture never speaks about her as the one who sinned. That doesn't mean she didn't sin. You know, you got to wonder why she's on the roof and knowing that, that David has a roof that's higher than hers. So whether it was intentional or not, we don't know. We don't know if she tried to seduce him. Uh, we're, not, we're not sure. She may have, she may not. But the focus is always in the scripture on, on David because that's what the story is about. And uh, we could say this, maybe Bathsheba didn't intend to seduce David, but her lack of modesty certainly had the same effect. And I think that, that ladies, you may not realize it. You may not intend to do this, but you need to be careful about uh, how you dress, how you carry yourself. 1 Timothy 2.9 is an outstanding verse that addresses this, this very issue. 1 Timothy 2.9, he's talking about the worship service of a church. He says, dress appropriately. Dress appropriately. 1 Timothy 2.9, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments. In that culture of the day, he meant don't come to church like it's a fashion show. 
don't come to church. He's not saying don't dress up. He's just saying don't come to church with the, with the intention of drawing attention to yourself. You come there to worship the Lord. It's not a fashion display. You're coming there to worship the Lord. So don't try purposely to dress in such a way to get uh, people's attention, especially men. There are Christian women who haven't got a clue as to how they're dressing. And they may be naive about it, and so somebody ought to tell them. Somebody ought to tell them that uh, it's an unnecessary temptation for a man. So ladies, you can help men by the way you dress. Not to draw attention to yourself, not to wear suggestive clothing, because you will send the wrong message. And every man knows when that's happening. So why did David fall? Reason number one, unguarded leisure time. Reason number two, undisciplined passion. There's a third reason, unresponsiveness to God's warning. God did warn him, and he didn't heed it. Notice verses 3 and 4. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her, and when he, uh, she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. After looking upon Bathsheba with lust, David inquired about her. Who is she? And uh, he discovered that she was someone else's wife. She was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, who was off at war, where David should have been. Now, uh, notice verse 3, because it comes across as a warning. Notice verse 3 again. David sent, so he sent somebody, and he inquired about the woman. He called for someone and said, who, who is this? And uh, one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? It comes across that the messenger appears to be trying to persuade David not to commit adultery with her. Isn't this Bathsheba, Uriah's wife? I mean, it's as if he was saying, you aren't thinking of taking her, are you? She's Uriah's wife. She's somebody else's wife. But David was thinking about that, and David did exactly that, and David committed adultery with her, which is forbidden by God's word. And David knew this. Two of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. But what I'd like to suggest to you is that before David committed the act of adultery, God warned him through his servants not to touch this woman. He had a, he had a clear warning. Don't do it. This is somebody else's wife. This is Uriah's wife. Then why was David a man after God's own heart? So unresponsive to the promptings of God, and, and really more than the promptings, a, a clear statement from God, don't touch this woman. Well, the verse really doesn't address this specifically, but I want to suggest to you that David had to do some mental rationalizing in order to not heed this warning. We all do. Nobody lusts and sins in that capacity unless you rationalize it. So David had to do this. In fact, J. Allen Peterson in his book, The Myth of the Greener Grass, that is the grass is always greener on the other side, suggests that David's rationalizing when something like this. Here's, here's a suggestion. This is what he thought. He, he imagines David thinking. Uriah is a great soldier, but he's probably not much of a husband or a lover. He's years older than she is, and he'll be away for a long time. This girl needs a little comfort in her loneliness. This is one way I can help her. No one will get hurt. I don't mean anything wrong by it. This is not lust. I've known that many times. This is love. This is not the same as finding a prostitute on the street. God knows that. And to the servant, he said, bring her to me. And I don't know if that's exactly what went through David's mind. 
But uh, he had to do some rationalizing to be so unresponsive to God's word. And you know what? David is not the only one who has ever rationalized away the command to, to not commit adultery and be immoral. Let me give you a few, a few suggestions of how we rationalize. Because you and I rationalize as well. How can something that's so enjoyable be wrong? They say, oh, come on, nobody says that. Listen, I had somebody say it to me. I had someone years ago who I confronted. And uh, this man said to me, how could it be so wrong when it feels so good? How could it be? It just is so right. And this is a, a professing believer who said that. Another way of rationalizing it. My marriage was not God's will in the first place. How's that for one? I should not have married this person. And uh, so it, it's all right because... Really, I'm out of the will of God anyway. No, you're not. You're married to that person. How you got into that is your problem. You're married to that person, and the Bible commands you to continue and to be a great husband, to be a great wife. How about this one? My spouse is cold and unresponsive. And so a person kind of justifies their sin. If he or she is cold and unresponsive, I have a right to find somebody who's warm and responsive. And how about this rationalization, sort of blaming it on God? You know, God made me this way. I have certain desires, certain needs. He's given me this desire, so, so it must be all right. After all, why would he give this to me if he didn't want me to express it? See, a person can rationalize all he wants, but the real reason that someone disregards God's clear word about moral purity is idolatry. It's idolatry. That's what it has to be called. It's what the Bible calls it. The Bible doesn't use clinical names. You had an affair or things like that. The Bible uses the word idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, because you might think, where did you come up with that? Well, I came up with it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is talking about the Jewish people coming out of Egypt, how they wandered in the wilderness. Remember, uh, Moses went up. Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. When he came down, they were all fooling around. They were having orgies, and they were uh, involved in worshiping this golden calf. He said in chapter 10, verse 1, For I don't want you to uh, be unaware, brethren, that our fathers who were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So he's talking about roaming in the, in the desert there. He says in verse 7, and, and do not be idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Let us not act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. And then he closes this little subsection by saying, Therefore, my beloved brethren, flee from what? Idolatry. He calls what they did idolatry. Immorality is idolatry. Because, because um, when you want so badly to get your own way that you will do anything it takes to satisfy your desires, you are an idolater. That's idolatry. They wanted what they wanted so badly that they sinned against God to get it. That is an idol. Now, it certainly had to be idolatry in David's life 
Certainly, David didn't have any unmet sexual needs, not with all those concubines and wives, right? I mean, let's be honest about it. He had to put sex above God's word. He didn't have any unfulfilled needs. So be careful about rationalizing away sin, about blaming your spouse, even about blaming God. You know, he made me this way, or look, I've asked him to take these desires from me, and he hasn't, so it's God's fault. Careful about that. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, it is idolatry, but also according to Paul, God never allows us to be tempted above what we are able to handle. He will give you his grace. He will give you the way of escape. You can curb your sexual appetites. So let me, let me wrap this up by asking some tough questions, okay? First of all, what's your leisure time like? Evaluate your leisure time. Do you have too much time on your hands? Be careful. Do you let down your guard mentally or spiritually when you're relaxing? It's all right to relax. Just be careful. Be careful. Don't be relaxing to the point of mentally you're, you're so relaxed that you could be tempted and you're not, you're not aware of fighting. Be active, be busy, be ministering. And during vacation and, and, and times and weekends, be sure you don't take a vacation from the Lord. Now, that's some sound practical advice. Be sure you don't take a vacation from the Lord. Secondly, what lust stimulators do you need to get rid of this week, today? Don't put it off. What, what has the Spirit of God convicted you that needs to go? It may not be what other people have. So don't look and say, well, if I do it, then everybody else has to do it. That's called legalism. It's called legalism. Unless the word specifically commands everybody to get rid of something, uh, just take care of your own problem. Don't start legislating it for others. But it may be TV show. It may be magazines. It may be a, a special friends. Maybe whatever. Another question, what steps are you taking to get your passions under control? Also, do you need to rekindle the flame with your spouse? Is there a bad marriage that would lead you to be looking elsewhere? And you need to get things straightened out with your spouse. Some of the stuff's just common sense. Another question, what rationalizing do you need to destroy in response to the clear word of God? First Thessalonians 4 is a clear word about this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you not commit immorality. It's a clear word from God. What, what rationalizing have you been doing that needs to be destroyed today, right now? You can never justify sexual immorality, no matter how hard you try. So there are reasons for David's fall, and there are reasons why we fall, or we might fall, or we have fallen, but you don't have to. We can learn from David, and that's what I hope that you'll do. I hope that you'll put this into practice. Now, someone may be sitting here and say, you know, this isn't very encouraging because I have fallen in the past. I have, I have committed adultery. I have committed immorality. Then you need to hear this, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no sin that Jesus didn't die for. And the Bible says that if you're a believer, you confess your sin, which means not only agreeing with God, but with a repentant heart. You confess it and you forsake it. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. Now, if, if you've not done that, you need to do that. And I would say the person you committed 
uh, immorality with, you need to go and ask forgiveness. Maybe don't see them personally. Maybe write them a letter. Ask forgiveness. I would also say that you need to move on in your life and not let that hinder you. You need to believe your beliefs. And your beliefs are, according to the word, that you are forgiven. So live like you're forgiven. Now, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you've had immorality, maybe a lifestyle of it, you need to know that there's no sin, once again, that Jesus hasn't died for. He offers you salvation, and that includes forgiveness of the sins of immorality. Christ receives sinners. No one is too bad for Jesus. He died for bad people, and he died for good people who don't know how bad they are. He died for all of us. So you need to respond to that and be cleansed by him. Let's bow for prayer. You need, as we're bowed, you need to do something about what the word says. You've been given some guidelines from scripture. You've been given some lessons from the fall of David so that you might not fall. But you need to put these these principles into effect. Don't let them fall on, on ears that don't receive the truth. This is our world. This is where we're living. And this is where many of us are falling. And it doesn't have to be. You can live above the moral cesspool called society. You can live purely. You can be a man or a woman of God. In spite of the fact that others around you may not be. You really can be. And I'm going to give you a few moments now to just respond in your own hearts to the Lord, and then I'll close in prayer. Father, I pray for each one here as they're speaking individually to you, whether they be of young age, middle age, or older. I pray that we'll take these things to heart. There's a lot of of truths that were presented this morning, Lord. I pray you'll help us to sort them out and to, most importantly, to apply them. Lord, falling is not above, or or none of us are above that. David was a real man after your own heart, and yet he did this. So I pray for each one. Pray for our leadership at Lakeside, especially. She'll help us in leadership, elders, staff, deacons, deaconesses, all to be um, morally pure, to never bring reproach on the name of Christ and on this church. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, to have victory in our minds, especially, and that's where it begins, but also victory in our, in our actions in this area. I pray for our young people, especially, who really battle this, and it's such a, a wicked world that we live in. I pray that you'll help them to be careful of, of what music they listen to, of what TV programs they watch, of videos. I pray that they will have a desire for, uh, for purity in their lives, and more than a desire that they'll do something about it, because we can have the best of intentions, but never do anything about those intentions. And I pray, Lord, for those who are retired, who have a lot of time on their hands, and I pray that you will help them to be diligent in mental discipline, Bible study, prayer, active service. I pray that they'll not uh, dare to think that this is a message that doesn't apply to them. I pray for our singles who struggle in this area. I pray that you'll help them, Lord, to, uh, to put these truths into practice, to be godly like young Joseph, to flee youthful lusts. 
Father, I also pray for those who uh, may have committed immorality in the past. I pray that you will help them to, uh, to really believe that they are forgiven and to move on in their lives. I pray for those who may be involved in it right now that they will surely repent and deal with this before the church has to deal with them in discipline. I would pray also for those who may not know Jesus Christ. And they may even be very moral and never have fallen in this area, but they're still wicked sinners because the word says that. And I pray that they might indeed see their need for Christ and repent and trust the Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope that if you are a Christ follower, you have found some useful tools that will aid you in living a morally pure life. And if you are still considering the claims of Christ, this look into the failure of a great man, knowing as we will see later that God ultimately forgave him, should encourage you to trust Christ as Savior. As Pastor Steve said, there is no sin so great that God will not forgive it when that sinner comes to him in genuine repentance. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been serving for over 27 years at Lakeside, and we at Verse by Verse Ministries are happy to be able to present his lessons to you on this great radio station. If these classes are blessing you, why not tell the manager? And we would love to hear from you, too. Our phone number is 727-239-0306. That's 727 727- Two three nine zero three zero six. When you call, you might like to order a CD or cassette with this entire message. 